Hello, listeners. We've just got a quick introduction to this episode before we get into what you're used to hearing. The episode that we had planned to put out today and that you might have heard in our previous episode, I say we put out today, on queerness in the golden age of piracy, we've unfortunately had to delay due to some health issues. We'll hopefully have that out on the 15th of August, but we'll keep you informed if you keep an eye on our social media and you'll see what you're up to. In the meantime, we thought we'd release this episode to you instead. This episode is a bonus episode that we previously released on our Patreon. We hope you enjoy this in the meantime until we can bring you our planned episode on the golden age of piracy. Hello and welcome to Queer as Fact, the podcast bringing you queer history from around the world and throughout time. My name is Eli. I'm Irene. I'm Alice. And today we're talking about a recently discovered collection of possessions and paintings allegedly owned by Frida Kahlo. I'd like to acknowledge the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung people of the Kulin Nation as the traditional owners of the land on which we record this podcast and pay respects to their elders past and present. We recognize them as the custodians of an oral history tradition far older than this podcast. There aren't really very many content warnings for this episode. There will be some sexually explicit quotes later on, but that's all. So if you don't want to hear that, feel free to skip this episode, but should be smooth sailing. (laughs) So let's talk about this alleged... Frida Kahlo collection. Okay. In a town in Mexico called San Miguel de Allende, there's an antique store called La Bojadilla Antiquarios, which is owned by Carlos and Leticia Noyola. Uh, they've been in the antique business for decades. They opened the store in 2004 and they collect, restore, appraise and sell art, you know, general antique yep. business. If you go there and ask, they will show you two wooden chests, a metal trunk, a wooden box and a suitcase that they hold in the back of the store. The cases contain paintings, drawings, letters, and papers, various other personal possessions that were apparently once owned by Frida Kahlo. And they just keep them in the back of the shop? Uh, Certainly at like the writing of all of the sort of sources I used for all this. Yeah, it was just there. Uh, you You can go and ask and they'll show it to you probably. That's pretty wild. Yeah. So like, as I've made clear already by literally using the word allegedly, (laughs) (laughs) the authenticity of this archive is heavily debated. And obviously it's for this reason that I decided to not include it in one of the Frida Kahlo episodes that we put out on the main feed. Mm -hmm. So this is probably jumping wildly ahead, but what kind of content is in this archive? Like, what can this tell us about Frida's life that might not be true? So like, as I sort of gave you an idea there there's a lot of stuff in Mm. these cases for our purposes it's worth noting that there's a lot of material that is relevant to Frida's sexuality I guess that's really what I wanted to ask was is there gay stuff in there (laughs) there is gay stuff in the archive yeah and this material is sometimes quoted as evidence for Frida's bisexuality without contextualizing where it comes from you know I thought it was worth discussing this for that reason alone, uh, because some of the quotes that you'll sort of see around on the internet come from this. And I also thought it's just an interesting story. It gets into some of the questions of the complications with uh, sources on Frida's life and how that's been received. So that's why we're doing this episode. So I mentioned there was like a main book on this. It's a book by Barbara Levine and Stephen Jaycox called Finding Frida Kahlo published in 2009. Barbara Levine first became aware of this collection whilst living in Mexico when a friend invited her along to, quote, see the Frida Kahlo's one day. 
so she went, she saw, she was amazed, and she decided she wanted to do some kind of project with them. Uh, her background professionally is in sort of like exhibitions and curatorship and that sort of thing. So, okay. you know. Yep. She came back with her colleague, Stephen Jaycox, and approached the Noyolas about a project documenting the archive. Over four days in April of 2008, Levina Jaycox, along with a translator and a photographer, photographed the contents of the cases in the back room of the Noyola shop, taking all of the objects out photographing them and repacking them as they had been found. Did this stuff belong to Frida Kahlo? (laughs) (laughs) That is the question. That is the question. And obviously that's a bit of a tricky thing to establish. When we're trying to authenticate historical artifacts or works of art, there's a few different methods that we can use. One of these is establishing the collection's provenance, so the paper trail connecting it from the original creator to the current owners. So how did these cases of Frida Kahlo's end up in the Noyola shop? The Noyolas tell the story of how they got this stuff in an interview in Levine and Jacobs's book. They tell us that in 2004, Letitia Noyola visited a friend of hers who also had an antique store and saw various items lying around that seemed like they were Frida Kahlo's, you know, like self-portraiture and stuff like that that was obviously in Frida's style. Okay. Letitia asked her friend about this and the friend told her that they belonged to a lawyer who wanted to get them appraised. So the lawyer wishes to remain anonymous and his identity isn't known. Okay. So you Convenient. Know, there's that. <laughs> Letitia and her husband Carlos were obviously very interested in this and with her friend's help they contacted the lawyer and they took some of the items on consignment. They then tried to authenticate them, taking them to uh, Diego Rivera's granddaughter, Ruth Alvarado Rivera, and to Frida's previous students they judged them to be authentic and so the Nolas bought the items so is that the whole collection or is that just like some items that's just some items so the lawyer then said he had more of Frida's belongings okay. that they could buy and invited them to go to his house Letitia describes his house as being this kind of like compound like building that had two sets of gates they had to pass through and then once they got inside they were greeted by 200 dogs which each had individual <laughs> names what <laughs> I knew the 200 dogs were coming. <laughs> Please tell me everything you know about the 200 dogs. Uh, not a lot. I do not have this. The rest of this episode is not going to be like, that one was called Rufus and that one was called Fido. Um, so. Do you know even one name? I, I don't have any dog names. I just oh. know that there were near infinite dogs. <laughs> there were allegedly 200 dogs. Yeah. So many dogs. So the Nolans describe this man as, quote, a very mysterious man, strange in every sense, even in his appearance. Uh, and I'm just going to read you like a little snippet of this interview now, because I, <laughs> it was at this point that I felt we'd truly taken a, a turn for the wild and I... I just want to share that with you. I just want to put in that I remember when you got up to this part of the book and I think I was like sitting upstairs with Jason and you were in your room researching and you came out and you're like, Alice, you need to leave the room. I need to tell someone about this and you cannot hear it right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, okay. And then I cut that anyway. (laughs) Yeah. I just remember that you sent me a message where you were like, what is reality? And I was like, I don't know, bro, what's going on? (laughs) (laughs) So Levine asked them, when you went into his house, did he have any art on the walls? Carlos said, no, nothing, nothing. There wasn't a chair, just dogs. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Why? (laughs) If they made up this guy, which I don't really know whether they did or not. If you made up this guy, 
Would you make that up? <laughs> so I feel like if you really wanted to, it can't be that hard to figure out who this guy is. Because how many random men are there in Mexico who own 200 <laughs> dogs in, like in a, a compound? A double but no... compound with 200 dogs. <laughs> they just ask around. <laughs> like, this guy must be notorious. So then Letitia said, uh, we saw 10 safes in the house, Carlos. He said he had 30 safes. I collect safes, he said. <laughs> What a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, so that's the end of the quotes. From one of these safes, he produced a box of letters by Frida, uh, some addressed to Diego and some addressed to the poet Carlos Pelica, who she was friends with. The letters were all dirty and covered in fungus, allegedly. Yeah. And the Noyolas agreed on a price and they bought them too. So I just want us to back up for one second and imagine walking into a house with no furniture, upwards of 30 safes <laughs> and 200 dogs. I mean, like, oh yeah, this guy seems legit. I'll give you a large sum of money now. I definitely believe that these random letters covered in fungus you pulled out of my house, 30 safes are authentic. Yeah. <laughs> the lawyer contacted them repeatedly over the next three years, offering to sell them more stuff owned by Frida Kahlo. They say he would always say that he had many more things of Frida's, but he would never tell us what they were or how many things he had. He would say he only wanted to sell part of what he had because he wanted to keep certain things for his memories. The Noyolas eventually asked to meet at a motel instead of his house because his house was weird. (laughs) And when they asked where he was getting these items, he would just say, in my safes. So you know how we talk about provenance? Yes. These items do not have provenance. (laughs) The safes, Alice. The safes just generate fake Frida Kahlo letters. (laughs) So at first the Noyolas were buying these items with a view towards selling them. But as they realized that he had this whole collection of Frida Kahlo artifacts, they decided that they would try and acquire the whole collection and keep it together. And then eventually the lawyer told the Noyolas that he'd given them the last of his Frida Kahlo stuff. Okay. Now, obviously the question is, if this lawyer has all this stuff, where did he get it from? Yeah, I have a second question, which is, how much did he ask for all this stuff? How much did they pay for it? Uh, they've declined to make that public information. Okay. okay. Are they, like, making money off it now? Like, when you say you can just go into the back room of the shop and see it, like, do you have to pay a fee to do that? Or are they just like, hey, come see some Frida Kahlo stuff? I don't know. I found, like, a few articles from, like, uh, I don't specifically remember, but very, like, disparate things, like the, like, Irish Times or whatever. Oh, where yeah. someone was like, I hear this exists. And I went there and I was like, can I see it? And they were like, sure. But, like, no one mentioned if they'd had to pay for anything like that. And probably if you're um, a journalist, you might have a different experience than a random person as well. Yeah. Because you have publicity. Certainly, like, I... I, I don't think that they're making a large quantity of money off of this. Okay. I don't really think that a lot of tourists are going in there and being like, can I see these potentially fake Frida Kahlo paintings? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, yeah, the fact that they've not sold it and the fact that they just kind of have it there and you can see it if you want to. Like, they've said that they want to eventually donate it to a museum or an archive or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess it is kind of one of the points in favor of if not this being real at least them having genuine sentiments Mm. towards it because you know i sort of imagined that would be the other way where i was like the fact that they haven't tried and sold this or done anything with it suggests to me that maybe it's not real and they're like they know they couldn't make any money get away with it if other people had to scrutinize it that much well they have like repeatedly as we'll like get into a bit tried to have it authenticated and they say that like they welcome anyone 
coming and doing tests on it or whatever. Yeah. Possibly, you know, they got it all and they were just like, obviously this is authentic. And then as we'll get into in a minute, there was a big reaction from the art world being like, no, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who is this guy? Uh, So, you know, potentially like they just didn't anticipate that being the situation. Yeah. But yeah. That's, I'm still that's just where it's at. in my head imagining the 30 safes and the 200 dogs <laughs> in the walled compound. Yeah, I'm not yet I, past this. I like don't have any further information about that and you're just going to have to live with that information. <laughs> I just want to like, go to his house one time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this would be like, what, 20 years ago? So maybe some of these dogs are still there today. <laughs> that's true. Maybe he has more dogs. I guess. So yeah, Levine asked Carlos and Letitia, like, so where did he get it from? And they told her, from a woodcarver by the name of Abraham Jimenez Lopez. The lawyer could never remember the woodcarver's name. He told us that it had belonged to a carpenter who had an adopted son who was ill, and that he was a person who was alone, who was white, who had big hands, and that he was called Whitey. Uh, (laughs) Just some guy called Whitey. (laughs) That's great provenance. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like, I, I think, you know... We really do need to make it clear that they decided apparently to buy these when it was from this guy who lived in a huge filthy compound filled with 30 snakes and 200 dogs. And when they were like, where'd you get this from? He was like, I don't know, some woodcarver named Whitey. And they were like, seems good to me. (laughs) But they found out Whitey's name. Yeah. So they recall that by chance when they were getting some of this material restored, they met with a, a painter called Sergio Hernandez who was able to confirm this story. So I believe the situation is that Hernandez had been Lopez's apprentice. And so he'd like seen a bunch of this stuff in his house when he'd been an apprentice there as a teenager. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. See, I want to know, like, did he tell them that before they told him, like, we got it from this lawyer, but we really don't know where it's from. Like, has anyone else spoken to him? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I don't know. It's all pretty dubious. So you might be asking, where did Whitey or (laughs) Abraham Jimenez Lopez get this from? I am asking that question. Yeah. Who's this guy? So he knew Diego professionally and did some carving at Casa Azul late in Frida's life. The Noyolas tell us he was very close to Frida in her last days. He spent time consoling her and helping her with her pain and was with her up until she died. He told the lawyer that Frida had paid him for the frames with barters and exchanges and also gave him gifts that Frida hadn't wanted to keep these things in her house because she was close to dying and included were things that could compromise the privacy of her survivors. Okay. Uh So first of all, like, I don't know if this is true. Frida knew a lot of people, Mm -mm. so it's certainly not, like, out of the realm of possibility, but he's not mentioned in any biography or anything I ever read Mm. as being, like, a notable friend of Frida's or anything like that. Which, Uh, I guess, the fact that she's apparently trusting, like, very personal papers to Yeah. Also, if you're about to die and you have, like, papers you want disposed of, like, they include things where she... Letters that she talks badly about Diego in and stuff like that. Giving them to someone as payment for some door frames or whatever seems a little odd. Yes. Yeah, like, what... In this scenario, what did Frida envision that... What did she envision that Abraham would do with these letters? Like, what did she want i guess I the know. implication is that she had become close to him while he was in there doing wood carvings in her house and that she trusted him to keep these papers mm. discreetly she didn't want to destroy them and this was someone she knew who was disconnected from everyone else that she knew 
But he knew Diego professionally. Like, he wasn't disconnected from everyone else that she knew. But, like, he knew him professionally, as in he had come into his house and worked for him, Mm. right? Yeah, allegedly. Yeah, Yeah, allegedly. (laughs) Like, it's not necessarily like they were in art circles together Mm. otherwise, Mm. or they were, like, friends. Pals, yeah. Yeah. So, hypothetically, I guess, she could be like, look, this is my journal. I bitch about a lot of people that I'm close (laughs) to in here. I don't want it going public, but I would be very sad to have it destroyed. Mm. It does seem a little strange to me. Like, they mention, like, oh, he gave us this, like, packet of letters, but, like, by the time Levine and Jaycox are writing about this, it's, like, five or whatever cases that are you know, have been packed the same way since Frida last touched them. And like, Mm. there's not loose letters attached to that as far as I can tell. Mm. So like, how do they fit into that? Are we saying that he was given that packet of letters, but then also Frida was like, here's a suitcase, here's a suitcase, here's a suitcase. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I would like more detail. Yeah, and then, like, Sergio Hernandez, like, if he saw them, like, in the house when he was an apprentice, like, were they packed in those suitcases then? Mm. Like, we've got to ask these questions too Mm. yeah so i don't really know the deal with that Mm. like you know this all could be true but i'm not finding any solid evidence to make me think it is and so finally i'll just clarify how apparently the lawyer knows abraham Um, (laughs) i love the lawyer what an incredible man (laughs) (laughs) Uh, maybe they go to the dog park together So the lawyer met Abraham when the lawyer was working for the government and was given the task of finding an expert woodcarver to carve the handle of a pistol that was going to be given to a politician as gift. Okay. Uh, and then he, I guess, saw all this stuff in his house and arranged to buy it all from him. Okay. Once again, that could have happened, but mm. uh, also it could have not happened. <laughs> yeah. Another method that we can use to authenticate something like this is connoisseurship, so the authentication of experts. And we've already seen that at play a little bit with the Noyolas going to Diego's granddaughter and to Frida's students who all gave certificates of authentication to items from this collection. Mm-hmm. However, other Frida Kahlo experts have decried this collection as a fake. So prominently, Marianne Martin, who is the owner of a Manhattan gallery focused on Mexican and Latin American art, has spoken on the subject multiple times. For example, in an oral history interview that she gave in 2009 for the Archives of American Art, Martin talks about how she's been increasingly approached with fake Frida Kahlo paintings to appraise as Frida has risen in popularity and as mm. her paintings have come to fetch like millions and millions of dollars on the art market this has happened to such a degree that she's been approached with the same fakes multiple times with different like fake provenances attached to it. <laughs> oh yeah yeah it's like no i've seen this one before <laughs> yeah so mexican national patrimony laws make it illegal to export frida's work without permission from mm. the government i guess but before frida's work was considered national patrimony you could export it and so Uh, you know people were selling these forgeries saying like yeah i just like found this in an antique store in mexico or whatever and then all of a sudden they couldn't say and then i flew that back to the united states so they had to make up some story instead about how they like found it in the united states and that was why it was legal to sell there and that's why their stories have changed yeah 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 so regarding this collection martin bluntly states that it just is a hoax she calls it a gigantic hoax the drawings are badly done the writing infantile the content crude the anatomy drawings look like something from a butcher shop instruction book. The paintings are pastiches, composites based on published works. The provenance provided is unverifiable and meaningless. I mean, the provenance provided is unverifiable and meaningless. That <laughs> is a lot true. Of fun, <laughs> it's great, but <laughs> it's a lot of like, 
this person talked to one person who cannot be found anymore kind of <laughs> yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, like connoisseurship is all well and good. Like obviously you can be an expert on a person and be like, hey, in my opinion, this does look like their work. But like once you've got a few experts who can't agree, like mm. that becomes meaningless. Yeah. So Martin has noted that Ruth Alvarado Rivera, Diego's granddaughter, has provided certificates of authenticity for works that are widely recognized as fakes and that for the students are similarly regarded as unreliable. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. Martin theorizes that the archive was created by a workshop of several people using publicly available information about Frida as a guide. And yep. that maybe the reason why the lawyer kept turning stuff up was because, you know, he would sell them something and then this workshop would put all another one together and then it would say, I found this in a safe. <laughs> sell them that and then, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is all hypothetical. But if I was a Frida Kahlo forgery workshop churning out my Frida Kahlo forgeries, like this bizarre lawyer is the perfect man to feed them to the public because like any questions about where they're from is all just will end of- at him. Jabs obscured by this guy just being a weird guy (laughs) yeah (laughs) having said that though like i surely you want the person who's going to be selling this to antique dealers to have some mild credibility (laughs) yeah i guess yeah i was going to say i feel like if i were a frida carlo art forger i would be wanting to have someone who was like an antiques dealer that i had an in with right Mm, yeah rather than trying to go through this like completely wild 200 dogs man i mean and and his mystery saves and having said that i mean maybe they did and that's carlos and letitia noyola yeah Yeah, that's like i i to be clear i don't have any proof of this and i'm not saying it is because i don't really want to get sued by two mexican art dealers but But also like and then the the point comes up again if if that was them why would they make up this guy? <laughs> okay, I guess so. But then again, maybe it's the lawyer who created the ruse. Maybe someone wasn't like, oh, we'll go to this lawyer to get into public. Maybe he was like, I could fund a Frida Kahlo forgery workshop. Mm. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. And, and any he point. is literally just like this. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that makes sense. I think that makes sense that this guy has 200 dogs, like 50 safes full of junk <laughs> and a Fred- secret Frida Kahlo forgery workshop. <laughs> like a coherent man <laughs> yeah sure i wish you didn't even go here anyway we're just wildly speculating yeah. as you sort of indicated we have the situation where there are multiple quote-unquote experts from quite different backgrounds who are making very different claims and cases like this really raise the question of well who gets to claim authority mm. over someone's legacy like this so a 2010 newsweek article on the cases talks about this issue of who is an expert and says for each of the major dead artists whose work sell for millions of dollars there are one or two experts sometimes related to the artist who have the authority to issue certificates of authenticity or to deem the works worthy of further study the basis for these judgments can sound surprisingly touchy-feely involving words like energy or it didn't speak to me the experts say that this intuitive reaction is supported by a deep knowledge of the artist's materials, brushwork, color palette, even whether he or she was right or left-handed. Though there have been cases of expert authenticated works later proved to be fakes, there have also been cases of experts catching mistakes, forensic tests missed. So it is genuinely just a very tricky thing. (laughs) Yeah. The Noyolas claim that the experts who say it is fake are doing so because of their own personal agendas and a desire to control the narrative surrounding Frida's life and work. Carlos, in that 2010 Newsweek article, said, The experts just know the Frida that was public. This is a controversy. We have the real Frida, the personal and intimate Frida, and they have the Frida created by the New York market. I mean, it seems to me 
suspicious and unconvincing if you're like everyone who disagrees with me is just doing this for their own agenda to control the narrative everyone who agrees with me is an honest appraiser yeah and i also like we talked a lot in the episode about how frida's biographers will have this like feeling that they have this deep personal connection Mm. and they and they alone have this unique insight into her Mm. you know with i think like hayden herrera saying that she felt that she was like living inside frida's brain or whatever it was i hope no one says that about me after i die that's weird and uncomfortable i'll write a biography of you (laughs) please don't say that (laughs) and so i think that this is you know just sort of part of that same kind of way Mm. of approaching frida where like the noyal is to an even greater degree in some ways than the biographers seem to feel like they have this personal connection with an understanding of frida Mm. that like no one else is just like capable of or willing to understand so they they even go so far as to say that they feel like she's still alive in some way and is trying to influence events so that her true self is known which is just that's just not true i'm sorry (laughs) yeah well it's just also like i don't know it seems quite in bad taste whether or not you legitimately understand these paintings etc to be real or not to claim that the dead artist who created them wants everyone to believe that they're real yeah 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 i mean that just seems kind of like a manipulative claim yeah yeah barbara levine in her book openly acknowledges that the archive is possibly a fake but she also steadily undermines the significance of this so she mentions freda's lie about for example her age saying that you know although the age that she said she was, the birthday that she gave herself wasn't factual. It conveyed deeper truths about Frida's self-identity and therefore like it has this kind of, it's meaningful information anyway. But there's a difference between a lie that Frida chose to tell about herself and a lie that some random forger chose to tell about Frida. Yeah, so she kind of concludes with the statement that no hard line between fact and fiction existed, to which I would say, I mean, yes, it does. <laughs> it does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, like, she's right. Freya lying about herself does tell us something about Frida. Some guy lying about Frida just doesn't. Yeah. So- yeah, I mean, sometimes those things are meaningful in that, like, a popularly accepted fake or something like that tells you a lot about... Public reception. Of- yeah. Mm. yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, um, and I think that is, like, what we can take away from a lot of this material that we'll talk about in a second about Frida's mm, sexuality. Mm, but yeah. You know, it's it's sort of ridiculous as well when you're coming, especially from the point of view of a historian who's trying to establish facts about Frida's life, to think that these information, well, if it's true or not, it just doesn't it doesn't matter. Like, yes, and it does. Also, to say there's no hard line between fact and fiction, like some stuff happened and some stuff didn't happen. Frida yeah. wrote some letters and not others. That's there's a line. Mm. Although Levine acknowledges the possibility that it's a fake, she doesn't really interrogate this or spend too much time on it. She'll kind of raise it, I feel, just for the sake of having given it lip service and then like, move along mm, yeah. very quickly. And she insists that the archive has meaning even if it is a fake. So she says, for example, what if someone was so obsessed with Carlo that they created a fictitious archive? Would we think of the material differently? Letitia yes. Noyal. <laughs> yeah, I sure Absolutely. Would. <laughs> like, it would still be interesting material, but it would not be the same material yeah. as a bunch of authentic papers from Frida. Yeah. She goes on, Letitia Noyola suggested that anyone who does not believe the materials are authentic must also believe that there were two Fridas born exactly the same, which isn't I the just, most unbiased statement yeah. you can make. <laughs> I just think that people, like, wildly overstate the extent to which you can look at two things and tell whether one's a fake and one's a mm. truth or not. In that way where, and like you see it in like CSI shows and things like that, <laughs> where they can, but they're always like, they can absolutely look at two handwritings and be like, mm. this is not the same as this. This was written the same as mm. like by the same person, mm. even when they're intentionally different. 
in ways that just don't pan out in real life. And I think that does kind of get into people's imaginations. The idea that a master artist has some like unique and unimitatable like yeah. style or technique that just can't be reproduced, which I don't think is necessarily true. Like if you look at a painting of Frida Kahlo, you can copy that exactly if you want to. And what will give you away if you're a good like a technically good painter is the fact that we don't know where that copy came from and that it's mm. obviously much more recent and that kind of thing yeah, rather and- than necessarily that your work is different. Mm, yeah. And it is worth noting that like there are master forgers yeah. who've painted paintings and then faked provenance for it as well. Like if you're someone who can fake a, you know, Renoir or something, you're someone who can probably fake a certificate of authentication. Yeah. Uh, and there've been people who've like, done the painting and then hung it up in a room and dressed up in old-timey clothes and taken a photo yeah (laughs) and stuff like that you know like it gets very very difficult yeah Yeah, yeah. and yeah i think it is sort of unfortunate that whether these are fake or not that the people who are publishing about them treat it as so like stupid that someone would question this yeah it's just kind of ridiculous stance to take in my opinion so um is there anything else that anyone wants to say about the potential authenticity or not of these paintings and other things well like they might be real but we just can't know we just don't have proof i guess that is something that we just live with like there are a bunch of things sources that we use all the time which might be revealed to be very good fakes at any second so like some more plausibly than others obviously so when you say like there are sources that we use, is your suggestion then that we should just use these as sources? No, okay. my suggestion <laughs> is that this is an uncertainty that you do have to kind mm. of live with mm. as a historian. And you have to kind of make, I guess, a kind of risk calculation yeah. of mm. how plausible every source that you're working with is. Yeah. And some of them you're like, well, this is this is almost certainly true because it's this person's journal and this person is not famous and there's no there's nothing to be gained from writing a fake journal Mm. for this Mm. person kind of thing Mm -hmm. and some of them that risk is much greater and there's plenty to be gained from faking a Frida Kahlo archive obviously yeah exactly exactly and so I guess yeah to an there is to an extent like different historians will kind of have a different threshold for what they're willing to take the risk with Mm. Yeah, and I think that Frida is, in many ways, the perfect person to uh, explore these issues around because, like, there's a lot of fake information that gets yes. circulated about Frida as fact. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of ways in which people's just kind of, like, feelings about Frida play into that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, like, in doing the episode, I decided that it wasn't worth using this evidence. I don't think it's, like, likely enough to be authentic that I wanted it wanted to factor it into our discussion about it but you know now we can now we can talk about it yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. with all of that context behind us so basically like the rest of the episode is i'm gonna read you some fun quotes some fun quotes yeah so we're entering the sexually explicit portion of the episode <laughs> okay. now obviously um so the most significant artifact in the collection from our perspective is this little book and then when you open the book it says on the front page the pleasures of life from the table to the bed by frida Kahlo, 1948 and the book consists of pencil drawings generally of an explicit nature often close-ups of genitals or breasts accompanied by a short diary entry where frida muses on something sexual and as we've already mentioned many of these entries mention her desire for women uh so i'm just going to read you a few quotes from this book now so the first dear intimate diary <laughs> Dear Secret Die. In this I write as a bird that was seduced, like a woman who knows what sex is in all its forms. I slept with whomever I liked. I didn't feel I enjoyed the phallus in all its magnitude and the vagina in all its delights. I have no regrets. This is how I am. Frida Kay. (laughs) 
Well, that's a really uh, handy-dandy quote if you want to be like, hey, I can prove Frida Kahlo is bisexual. Lucky I have this secret diary right here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you like another? (laughs) Yes. According to Greek legend, the island of Lesbos was inhabited only by women of astounding beauty. They were all lesbians. How I would have liked to live on that island. I feel like, to go back to the first quote for a Uh second, the I have no regrets, this is how I am line does just strike me as like it feels very strongly like modern queer activist (laughs) language to me i mean i don't know do you see what i mean like i think it does sound like modern queer activist language but i don't think that in itself means that it's also not something that frida kahlo could have said i don't think it's impossible that frida kahlo could have said that but i also can very much see that this is the language someone would pull out if they were if this. they just like heard Lady Gaga on the radio yeah. on the way to their fake Frida Kahlo <laughs> workshop. Yeah, exactly. Like that's, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it just has a very, yeah, born mm. this way vibe about <laughs> it. <laughs> All right, I'll give you another one. Being bisexual is not a sin. It is simply being free of all prejudice because one gives the body what it asks for, what it needs. And I enjoy it that way. He who criticizes me, he should go to hell. Uh, so I'll give you two more, uh, both related to famous people that we discussed in the Frida <laughs> episodes. So the first one, um, there is a picture of a skull that has the word Trotsky written on like its forehead, essentially. Okay. And the caption reads, I remember that bastard for the moments of pleasure. I had a good time when I was with him. I don't care if they find out that I slept with him because although they don't believe it, I had a good time. Frida K. Okay. And then the last quote I wanted to read you is not from this diary, but is from one of the letters that's included uh-huh. this. Um, and it's a letter to Chavela Vargas. Oh, okay. It reads Carlos. So that's the poet Carlos Pelica, who we mentioned was a friend of Frida's. Today I met Chavela Vargas. Extraordinary, lesbian. More than that, I craved her erotically. I do not know if she felt what I did, but I believe she's a liberal enough woman that if she asks me, I wouldn't doubt a second in undressing before her. How many times have you felt like sleeping with someone and just that? Again, she's erotic. Perhaps she's a gift from the heavens. And this would be a very significant quote if it could be confirmed to be true. This letter is sometimes quoted on the internet as proof of Frida's relationship with Chavela without any indication of where this quote has come mm-hmm. from. Yeah. And as we discussed in the second episode we did on Frida, Chavela Vargas has said that she and Frida had a relationship, but scholars looking back at that have failed to turn up any like concrete evidence apart from that, that they ever met. Yeah. Um, and so that would be that smoking gun that we would all very much <laughs> like to turn up. Yeah. Yeah. But um, unfortunately it has no uh, decent provenance. Yeah. Kind of like coming back to themes we've already discussed quotes like this to me, and this is very much just like off the vibe, which we've already discussed is not <laughs> reliable, um, kind of make me more inclined to view this collection as fake mm. because they really do read like a laundry list of just kind of like stuff that people are interested in regarding Frida's sexuality. Mm. Yeah, then that's kind of, I feel like that goes with my feeling that this mm. is what you would write if you were a modern person writing some fake info about Frida's sexuality. Yeah. This is exactly what you wish to read. Exactly, yeah. So you've got, you know, your, your quote about Trotsky, who Frida is very famously connected with, and then you've got your quote about Chavela, who has been in the news as having been in a relationship with Frida or potentially been in a relationship with Frida mm. more than any other woman. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, maybe. Yeah. Like maybe yeah, those are genuine quotes, but also like maybe they're not. <laughs> maybe that's what you would write if you were in the Frida Kahlo workshop listening to Lady Gaga <laughs> in the 200 dog compound. 
And that's something I've seen people say before about like working out the provenance of items and something like that is they're like, sometimes the first thing I consider is, is this too good to be true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like sometimes like historical finds are just too good to be true, but they turn out to be true. Like if this is too good to be true should not in itself be a, like, oh, therefore it's not true. No. But this is too good to be true. And it has no provenance. Yeah, but you have much less reason to doubt, I guess, a letter from Frida to Diego that's like, hey, Diego, I've gone out. Can you pick up some bananas? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's pretty unrealistic. I don't think Diego ever picked up bananas. <laughs> yeah, right. That's fair. That's fair. But you know what I mean. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes on this podcast, we do deal with historical figures where we're like, look, we looked as hard as we could and we can find no concrete evidence that this person was queer, Mm -hmm. which is not the case with Frida necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I think sometimes you do have to take rumor, not so much at face value, but you take it as something meaningful in its own right. Wait, when you're saying rumor, are you talking about like this archive or like what are you talking about? Talking essentially about anything that we can't prove concretely. Ah, okay. Um, That sometimes I think there is value in not throwing out those things just because we can't prove that they really happened. But I don't think that Levine has it right when she's like, it doesn't matter whether this is authentic Frida or not. Like, it Mm. means a very different thing either way. Yeah, and I think there's also a difference between, like, rumour, like, for example, if, like, everyone who knew someone is like, oh, yeah, I'd heard they were queer, but we can't really find any concrete evidence, versus rumour we've heard this archive is real, but we can't find any concrete evidence. Like there's a difference between rumor that people, you know, were saying about you in your Mm. life and something that may have just been fully created after your death. Yeah. But I guess it does at least like it can tell us something about like the myth making project around Frida. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, like it definitely says something about what people think about Frida or what people want to think about Frida. And I guess what they want to think about Frida is, well, if she was bisexual, that would definitely make me a lot of money. (laughs) and that's something i think that we can all take away from this and all find out (laughs) (laughs) yep with that we've been queer as fact we hope you enjoyed this episode even if it wasn't the one you thought you'd be hearing today if you did like it and you are interested we have more bonus episodes on our patreon and we're putting those out every month at the moment so you can go and sign up to your patron and check that out if you'd like to If you want to find the rest of our non-Patreon episodes, you can find them wherever you found this one. We're on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also find us on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. And you can email us directly at queerasfact at gmail.com. Or if you prefer, you can write to us by snail mail. And you can find all that info and our address on our website, which is queerasfact.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can sign up to our Patreon or you can also buy our merch on Redbubble and wear the Queer as Fact logo on your body as a great way to start conversations about Queer as Fact with your friends. We'll be back with our next episode on the 15th of August. Thanks for listening and we'll see you then. Bye.